Like, totes, it's just a totes. normal day. Oh, my hey, God. Steven. Yeah. What do you want to get rid of this week? You know week? what? I changed my mind because oh I my want God. to allow this person to engage with the... Wait, we have a guest? We have a guest. We have a is guest? the point of all this. Oh, my God. Have we ever heard of this person um, before? You know, have, this have is someone ever been I've spoken about? barely met. Oh, okay. Um, we decided to get married, though. Oh, recently. wow. My wow. husband. Yeah, Gina's mail order husband. <laughs> my <laughs> mail order friend. <laughs> and he's male. Quinn. <laughs> Quinn. Hi. Hello. Quinn Rawl. Hey, Quinn Rawl is what here. What a welcome. Yeah. yeah, what a welcome. Should we keep Not it everybody gets to that. be decided? Um, uh. You are our first. We've had a guest host before when I was absent. Correct. In absentia. But yeah. you're our first guest. Yeah, you're our first, first and last. Unicorn. Not last. Let's do this. Yeah. So, well, if it goes really poorly, then yeah, last. Right. So. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I think this is going to be fun. You're welcome. It is. Um, yeah, so we're just going to start off with a little round of what do we want to get rid of Yeah, this week? I don't know mm. if uh, you've spoken with your wife about this thing that she does every week, but mm. we're going to get rid of some shit. Yeah, we are. Um, oh, I've well, told him. Oh, oh, told him oh, all good, about good. it. Good, Homework done, <laughs> That like a Catholic nun. So, mm. Quinn, what do you want to get rid of this week? Some of us... Oh, some of us take Take time. it short and to the point. Some of us... You know, they're David Blaine. They throw the deck against the wall and, and see which card sticks. <laughs> David Blaine or Jackson Pollock. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, either yeah. way, both very successful. Fair in enough, fair enough. different ways, so just keep that in mind. But financially, in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, I've given this very little thought mm. and uh, decided... Excellent. I would like to, um, I, I've been given by Gina the option to replace mm -hmm. as well as possibly get rid of All right, yeah, no, yeah. You, get, you, so, can, you can find and you can find yeah. replace, yeah. So I want to get rid of uh, the NFL. Oh, big one. Whoa. I big want to boy. get rid of the NFL um, because I think Making the joy of the game is lost and there's so much injury and hardship um, and I would like to replace it with the, uh, what I'm going to dub the okay. ANFL. Uh, credit to Gina Stevenson for the name, anti-NFL. We're in on it together, Steve. Don't <laughs> okay. get us in panic. Uh, no, we were just talking this about this earlier. Cabal, no collusion. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I want to replace it with the ANFL, which is basically going to be more like uh, kids playing flag <laughs> football, but they're adults and they're having a great time. Oh, well, okay. I guess I'm confused. <laughs> I want... Uh, I demand clarity. Um, so, so why is the joy lost? I mean, I feel like definitely members of the ANFL, which right now sound like the group that protests games outside of the stadium while the NFL currently exists. Sure. I mean, it is a soft like, protest in and of yeah. itself. Uh, um, I think it's interesting that the anti-national football league, I mean, unless it's like a globalist football league, because it's like anti-national. <laughs> anti um, if they're still playing football, I feel like it undermines so some of the... What they're doing is they're keeping the joy of the game. They're still yeah. going to play football just without all the tackling, all the stuff that causes, sure. you know, brain injuries and depression and suicide later okay. in life. What about like eSports? Because I feel like... Well, sure, but uh, this all was spawned by the realization that there is something just really vital and mm. and fun about watching 
adults play like boys, <laughs> right? Sure, yes. Um, and um, watching uh, like children. The, thank you. Yes, not just boys play sports, thank ladies and gentlemen. You. <laughs> <laughs> um, but something was really fun about watching the. Uh, athleticism and elegance of a full-grown body sure. with all of the like power therein uh, carry out these fun games. So, you know, yeah, I think there's a lot to mine in there. I think I've done a great mm-hmm. replacement here, but uh, that's so all too. I really think something I need to I, say. Something I do like about it, if, if uh, you know, some of us say let's overturn the system, some of us say let's work within the system, um, you know, revolutionizing football to become flag football, I think would be really interesting for sure. You would get one, you could like lose the padding and everything. And you've got like just people. I think that's something that draws people who watch rugby that like, it's just, it's, it's not like people dressed up. You know, it's easy to, it's easy to smash into one another. It's easy, you know, when you're covered in bricks, um, that protect you. But then also, uh, it gets rid of this tendency. What it, you know how Alexa, like there's this issue with like how Alexa, um, people getting frustrated with Alexa and Siri, the fact that they have, uh, female voices that it kind of, you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. That it like trains people to, Mm -hmm. uh, like basically yell at women women as they're ordering things, Hmm. um, uh, or making like commands. Mm Mm-hmm. By taking it in, by by changing it to reaching for a flag, as opposed to tackling, I'm wondering what we would see in um, the culture of athleticism if we are removing this part where we are actively trying to attack one right, another. Right, right. You're being real with yourselves about the fact that this is a game. Right. We're trying to accomplish the game, have fun, mm-hmm. and you know, enjoy the camaraderie and whatnot, but you're removing the need for violence. Right. Because like, which, yeah. you know, I sound like a full blown hippie and I Love will, <laughs> I will yeah. live with that. You know, but <laughs> I'll it, take that on myself. Sure. <laughs> you know, and, and that's ain't, ain't, ain't nothing wrong with being a hippie, um, <laughs> but uh, it's also like, um, Oh fuck. I might have lost the thread. Whoa, we can uh, swear this is on this podcast. Swearing podcast. Uh, we not swear. Okay, Whoa. okay. We've already said looking for artists is Rock Rising's fresh air. They keep it very highbrow. We're low brown. Mm. Okay, low we're the dirty brown. air. Low brown, <laughs> the dirty spot basement air. basement yeah. air. When there's we're a like, gaming tournament going on, we're in that, <laughs> we're in that mining shaft in Chernobyl. NFL, we're in that mining oh, shaft in geez. Chernobyl. It's 50 well, degrees well. Celsius and everybody's naked. I don't know if we're <laughs> really that. We, we are all we naked that, though. He's right yeah. about that. Yeah, clothing as previously discussed, thoroughly optional. optional. I have no comment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's cool. my replacement. Oh, but I did remember, which oh, is that, great. you know, destroying the competition <laughs> as seen in, the, in in forms of intellectual competition, um, always a great thing, always a fun thing. But there is a difference between like saying on a point level, oh, I want to destroy the competition and actually having a facet physically of the game that is let them. us physically destroy mm. the competition. Yeah. So I, I like that that's removed. Yeah, I, I like that that's Competitiveness removed. Like, uh, needs Getting to rid stay. of like... Physical violence in sports. Mm. Big fan. Yeah. Big fan. All right. Got Steven on board. Boom. Check, check. Boom. Yeah. 
Gina? Um, I can go next. Sure. Slap us okay, so I'm going to say start preface this by saying this could open up a whole conversational can of worms, oh. and I don't want to go there because I want to talk about this movie. You're talking about uh, it's about um, Kurdistan. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just debating if that's your pretentious one for the day. Maybe. Oh, not. it's I not. I bet you have bigger ones coming, so I'm going to allow the no. next one. Uh, no, I want to get rid of. I think I want to get rid of this particular job I have, not because like I don't like the job, but because of actually the moral implications of this job, which is it's a very small job that I like only occasionally do, but it's um, editing college essays for students in China who are applying to schools in the U.S. And I thought it was just sort of editing them, you know, like you would right. edit something, but really it's like totally rewriting them mm. um, in a way to like make them far better and like sure. coherent and cohesive and like, you know, and I just, the more I do it, the more I feel like I wonder if this is right because it's really like, they really want us to change the essay, like to super restructure them so that they're like just, you know, um, objectively better. Uh, and like, it's feels kind of, I don't know. It's like, the moral thing of it is like this is sort of like presenting an image maybe of like the students, you know, uh, even like English skills uh, or mm -hmm. and like ability to write essays in a way that is perhaps like not actually who they are. And so I wonder like if they do get into these schools, then like how do they do in these schools? Because like then they are have to do the work themselves, you know, of course. Right. Um, and obviously it's not the only factor get them, of them getting into a college or something. Um but I just, yeah, I'm just like wondering how I feel about this. Now, are you, do you have access to their like transcripts and records? Like, can you see if you're taking like a C student and giving them this stellar essay or if you can, can you see if it's like a top, top, top notch student who just can't mm -hmm, speak right. English? They, well? um, I don't really, we don't get their like grades or anything like that. We, okay, that's at the top problem. of every essay, they say like, this is for a top blank student, but they say that for every single student, sure. like our top six student. And I don't know what that means. Right. Um, so top six at dodgeball. <laughs> right. <laughs> Could be. Or like, or um, NFL or like, you know, top six, when all when they're like in a school that like number one would be number thirty at another mm -hmm. school, sure, like it's yeah, very misleading. Yeah. So, um, so I don't know. Yeah. And it's also like, yeah, it's just like that makes it a far larger job than I expected it to be. You know, sure. because like you really just like have to put in the time to like write really great college essays, right? Uh, which is like a lot. Let me ask: Is <laughs> what are you trying to get rid of college essays? Or so. are you just right. trying to quit your job? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, well just... no, yeah, I think it's just, it's not, I, I, I do think that college essays are helpful, actually. Like, we had talked about this, too, because obviously we live together. We're married. We're married. Know, so we talk about a lot of things, <laughs> including this subject. Um, and I think college essays are good and helpful um, and, like, just show can show I the side mine. of the student that, like, you can't show in grades, you know, like, mm. sort of mm. what you value and, like, who you are and how you see the world and, like, you, you know, weaving that narrative of, like, who I am, you know, can, yeah. is really great. But yeah, it's just sort of like the, the implication of jobs like this and like organizations like this who do this, you know, in various different places, including in the U S of course, like, mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure that there's something like this here that is sure. not just like tutoring, 100%. but is actually sort of like re recreating. Almost um, like, um, hitch. 
if you will. Like right. teaching teaching guys pickup lines and where to take a woman and all this stuff, giving them dating tips so that they can hide who they really are. Mm. Well, also, we, we, we've seen that there's like a $500,000 bracket where like incredibly rich people just you commit just absolute fl- yeah. fraud and right. buy your way in. There's absolutely a yeah. ten dollars to $20,000 bracket that's like my kid's written this thing and just make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, you really think that costs $20,000? I definitely think people would pay twenty thousand dollars for it. I think there's, yeah. I think there's a whole range. Gina, I think, I think Gina Gina labor paid. is being okay. exploited. Now, uh, if Marxism. I was getting paid twenty thousand dollars, even ten thousand dollars, then maybe <laughs> my answer is different. the company getting different. paid by right. school, yeah, yeah, not you. For sure. Um, <laughs> now, also, you've got like, you've got the plagiarism issue, also because like, if you are just sort of like a writer in general, I don't think you're sitting there being like, I don't want to hand over my work, (laughs) these college essays to be taken credit for by these kids. But it's another thing to be like, I am complicit in Mm -hmm. plagiarism, which is against like, yeah, generally recognized rules of writing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm like very wonder, much wondering, like to like, I'm just curious to like research, Mm -hmm. you know, perspectives from like college colleges about organizations that do this because I'm realizing like I don't actually know of what they think of these kinds of programs right. and like if they there's oh also yeah. <laughs> and there's also a big wave web of um there was a I listened to this really interesting uh podcast on Chinese immigration fraud, particularly around this this guy who like he dropped out of law school this he was this Chinese immigrant he dropped out of law school and he got a job for this firm in Chinatown and they were all immigration lawyers that helped get um help people sort of tailor their immigration applications and then eventually it became a thing where it's like okay the the immigration courts are reading these things like hundreds every day. So it's like, okay, boom, here's the checklist, write all these things in there. And this will get this person brought in from China. And it's like basically X, Y, Z, you know, communist tropes about like forced abortion and all kinds of things. Mm. And then like, so basically he was just writing it, helping these firms commit immigration fraud. Mm. And then, and then basically he now lives in hiding because, like, the government found him. They made him review thousands of cases for amnesty. And then basically every time they needed cases reviewed, they would then just threaten him to revoke his amnesty if they if he didn't review all these cases to see which ones were fraud. Um, and so well, I got to say, that's a pretty sweet move by the government. Right. I mean, Honestly. All gonna, I mean, all these people that they've like made deals with, I mean, there, there, there is nothing that stopping them from going, Hey, that thing we said earlier. Yeah. We lied about that. Mm-hmm. You're either going to jail or you cooperate again. Right. Um, and so he's now like in hiding. Um, but obviously, you know, immigration fraud is a little bit different than, than this, but it does seem like potentially a smaller, um, microcosm. I was thinking mm-hmm. that. I I was thinking Good that. Word. I'm not 100 percent yeah, sure it that it works exactly. But it gets the idea. Sure. You're right. Uh, yeah, and I also just like you know, and on like just worry about you know, like setting up students for success or not of like 
Well, I mean it. Like, you know, like that's a part of it too. And it's not like, maybe it's not the primary thing of it, but like, you know, if you get into a good school or something because of like partially because of this and then like you get there and like it's, you just like can't keep up with the level of the work. Like I would feel Mm -hmm. really bad for the student too, you know. I think that because I'm not, I think that working, I think that your capacity as a teacher and also doing this over and over again, just to see, seeing like how far you're pulling these essays along mm-hmm. is why you feel that way. Cause right now sure. I'm really struggling to, to sympathize with you. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't, yeah. I don't care I'll about the sympathize with I'll, yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> I'll send you some of the drafts I get. Oh, if, you would like. if that is um, not a violation yeah. of your <laughs> terms of employment, then I mean, do oops, that. I'll get fired. Yeah. <laughs> no. Problem um, solved. Yeah. <laughs> how about you, Steven? Um, so, what were you thinking of, and then you decided not to get rid of? What was I thinking of? So, a um, warts—they're weird, and they they go away, and like all the things that treat warts, like they don't—they they treat them over the same period that they go away naturally. Um, so it's real bullshit. Also, fuck Travis Scott. Travis Scott is a bad musical artist. Oh. His music is not good, and yet all these people are walking around with Astro World shirts on as if they like him. He is not good. Fuck Travis Scott. Um, but we're then, not getting rid of Travis Scott. No, Just get rid of Travis Scott. Get rid of Travis Scott fans. Get rid of any Astro oh, World oh, tags oh, that shit. people have made on get the rid sidewalk. Of the fans. Fuck them all. Okay, but you're. Um, but the thing I want to get rid of. <laughs> Um, so I really like talking to people oftentimes in like social situations. I'll often, you know, I really like talking to people who I feel like are looking like they are feeling excluded. And totally because like, oh, it's it just sucks to be like at a party where everyone's supposed to be having fun and you feel like you're seeing someone who's like struggling. Mm -hmm. But something that I can't help but do because I'm in the moment thinking like, oh, let's like help give this person a good time. Let's like, you know, let's like engage them in conversation. Sometimes. I'm not like the foot is too much on the gas so that. You know, but like they start saying something and then I'm like, ooh, here's some probing questions I can ask about that. And I like kind of jump on asking them before they've necessarily finished what they were going to say. And like sometimes Mm. they'll say things like, oh, I do this, this and this and this. But and I'm already asking a question about the things that they do, even though they were just about to say Mm. some sort of pivot. And and then also it means that. Like, as I interrogate myself in the moment, there are times where I may ask them a question or bring something up that they've, like, already said, because, like, it's almost like my focus is on, like, let's have a great conversation, and so I end up not really listening as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just, I'd like, I, I don't think that the impulse to engage with people who might otherwise struggle to engage socially is wrong, but I do, I would like to rein in or get rid of the, the part that like is more interested in keeping the conversation going Mm -hmm. than really deeply listening. And, and especially because there's like, I guess a conflation between that and 
active listening. You know what? I really like this because uh, it's a very actionable get rid of. It's something that you can... Much like the just, ANFL. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or getting like rid of all Travis Scott fans. <laughs> yeah. 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 And what? Well, warts you can get rid of, but, but over the course of time that they would everybody. probably get rid of yeah. themselves. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's cool. really great. And it's also, it's an other centered goal, um, mm-hmm. which I think is really noble. And uh, I think it's really accomplishable. I say, good luck, my man. Well, I think Keep you. us posted. We're going we're gonna to make you do this. Yeah. Let's check awesome. back in. <laughs> awesome. Well, are we ready to Let's start the show? Oh my, oh my God. Welcome, so. welcome, welcome to Should We Keep This <laughs> Christmas Edition. Oh, is this the Christmas Well, do we, do we, do The Holly Jolly Cultural Review Podcast. Oh. You know and love <laughs> really. that looks back over the past 50 years of film, music, and television. Challenging your nostalgia to go on a sleigh ride together with you. Getting <laughs> oh, at the question... Should we, ho, ho, ho. should we, ho, 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 ho keep this? Oh, ho, ho, ho. I'm Stephen Musk. <laughs> I'm Gina Stevenson. And I'm special guest star Quinn Rawl. <laughs> and today <laughs> we're making fists our with star. our toes as we, we talk sure about right. 1988's <laughs> Die Hard. Die hard. Um, on the way here, Quinn was like, this should be the Christmas episode. So, <laughs> because Gina was unaware that well, it was supposed to be. I knew this was this is part of the movie too, which we'll talk. Anyways, oh, like it is a Christmas movie. Yeah, it's, but the, fucking, it's not. The, but it is. All right, it no, is. No, it is. Right. It is. Uh, this the, the 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 jury has returned. The verdict's been read. It's a Christmas movie. <laughs> the only yeah, like the only thing that argues against whether or not the only thing that remotely argues against it is that in 1998 it was released in summer. But the movie... 88? Yeah, 88. What did I say? 98. You said 88. It's 88. Thanks. Special guest star. Well, I was obviously referring to the 10th anniversary. That's true. In 1988, it was released in summer. So, yes, audible gasps in the room. But No, it's true. But it's like in the movie, this is just... We're all over the place. I'm all over the place. There's the... And towards the beginning... Bruce Willis is in the car and don't you like, have any Isn't Christmas, there any Christmas music? music and his limo driver Argyle is like this is Christmas music and it's like a hip hop Christmas song and it's right. much like I was like oh I noticed it for the first time watching it where I was like much like this movie aren't there any Christmas movies this is this a Christmas, is a Christmas movie. movie yeah that's true you know actually I, the story t- the the storytelling in this film is is underrated it it's like there's true. Excellent visual storytelling. Before we go there, though. What's the, what's the story? <laughs> what is the story? What's the story? Okay, so it was actually, I thought this would be easy to synopsize, but there's so many, this, my synopsis is not going to sound like it's funny, and this movie is also, I just want to put it out there, this is a funny action holiday yeah. movie. Yeah, funny, heartfelt. Yeah, this is a four-quadrant action four comedy holiday Family movie, but right. not for family. Made of, of lots of swearing. comedy, like sitcom actors, actually. Mm. Yeah. Like Bruce Willis. Just like, kidding. Literally. Um, no. Oh, is he a not, sitcom actor? Not, okay, not well, we'll get to that a mistake at all. He, like, wow. accurate. Didn't know that. All right. So this is the synopsis of Die Hard, 1988. Okay. So <sighs> it takes place on Christmas Eve. So there we go. It's Shooting a Christmas at the movie. Lights. When New York cop John McClane um, arrives in LA with the hopes of reconciling with his wife, Holly. 
uh, at the Christmas party of her employer, which is the Nakatomi Corporation. Mm. Um, Holly had moved to LA six months earlier when she was offered a high position in the company, bringing their kids with her and causing a strain on their marriage. Um, while John is in the bathroom washing up for the party, I feel this is, I feel like the most, like I'm reading something while I'm reading, I don't know why. I mean, well. While John's in the bathroom washing up, the party is interrupted <laughs> by the arrival of a German terrorist named Hans Gruber and his heavily armed team, who are not all Germans, who plan on seizing the tower and stealing $640 million worth of bearer bonds um, held so in the company safe. They're a ruthless bunch, we learn quite quickly. They kill Holly's boss when he won't help them open the safe. Um, and so the whole movie really is John trying to sabotage their plan um, using his cop skills and just general skills of himself to chase down, eliminate the terrorists throughout the building, and also trying to get the L.A. cops to come help. One cop, Al Powell, arrives at the scene. He summons the rest of the LAPD. I'm going cross-eyed. This is Sergeant Al Powell. I need backup assistance now. Um, now, goddammit, now. But the LAPD don't take John or the terrorist threat very seriously. Uh, after more death and destruction, FBI agents take over. They're also very inept. Um, Powell is the only cop who believes John. They form a bond together via communication on walkie-talkies. And in a final showdown, after the terrorists blow up the roof of the building, which is thwarted, trying to kill the hostages and the FBI agents, thwarted by John, John wounds Gruba, who falls to his death out a window. And thanks to the efforts of really just John and Powell and John's limo driver, Argyle, the terrorists are destroyed. Hostages can leave the building, and um, John and Holly seem to be reconciling. Perhaps John feels guilty at the end. He admits his guilt um, for not supporting Holly's career more, um, wishes that he had done that, and seems to want to do that in the future, and ends with them walking out of the building together, holding each other close as paper rains from the sky, much like the white snow in other Christmas movies. And they're the bonds, not just any paper. But right, they're bonds. Lots synopsis. of money worth of paper. Right, this should be like in Batman when the Joker's throwing money yes. and everyone's like ah! jumping and grabbing it. Those things Except are people worth don't understand thousands what of, a bond is. Perhaps. Yeah, I, arguably me. Me the Nakatomi too. Corporation for investing $640 million <laughs> in bearer bonds. <laughs> bearer. I have a deja vu of like talking about bearer bonds and having to look that up for another movie. I think there are, and I think I probably, I don't know. I don't know what that movie was, but. I, I don't remember the movie either, but I do Listen, remember. Oh, no, was it? It was, it was. It, Call now to tell us. Wasn't it, <laughs> wasn't it Beverly Hills Cop? It was a live show. Maybe. Wasn't it the, the heroin was being exchanged for bear bonds? Could be. Sounds mm, right. So. I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he watched all the movies too with me. But. We're married. Yeah. What? What? Okay. But, yeah, because it's for uh, yeah. for the folks at home who don't know. A bearer bond means anyone who bears it owns it. So for any company to invest like $640 million, <laughs> someone could safe. just walk away yeah. with. Well, well, but I mean, it you know, bearer bonds. Safe. Oh. And it's like cash is the same. Anyone who bears the cash. Mm, true. Right. But like most people that are like, that have $640 million don't have $640 million in liquidity. Mm. Fair. Yeah. They're just a dope corporation. Sorry, man. Yeah. They're dope. Also, I believe it's referred to, uh, so I watched this with subtitles on for the first time, Ooh. and while they were interrogating uh, Takagi, mm -hmm. you hear- it's Holly's boss. Holly's mm -hmm. boss. Um, it's either then or it's at another point, but I'm pretty sure it's during then, I was reading it, and it said that it was 10 days operating capital, like in the event of emergency, Whoa. and I was like- 
Wow. $640 million Those is big 10 old days operating capital. Damn. They are. They are a global corporation. Um, Would you like to tell us a bit about this movie? About, yeah. Like, what did it give us? And so, also, honestly, maybe we can just for a second start also with like, why do we pick this movie for this particular guest and moment? Or is that later? Um, just I, I think that maybe that's after the vote. Fine. Okay. That's weird. Wow. Okay, weird I'm pretty sure that we've it. done it. I, I think pretty sure. Hey, usually, what's your history with this movie? That's usually now. All we right, well, fine. Gina, what's your history with this movie? <laughs> I first watched it with the two of you. What? A couple of years ago when Quinn and I first started dating. I was were we, mar- were we married then? No. We're married now, we're married. though. Oh, 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 oh. Um, yeah, when you guys lived together. Uh, when we were married. When the two of you were married, yes. Um, <laughs> and you both were like, what? You've never seen Die Hard? Which, you know, a lot of my life I had heard that from men. Um to be, <laughs> but <Whoa>. turns out, which <laughs> no, is true. Um, so I watched it with you guys, and then I watched it. I think I've watched this is my like fourth, third or fourth time watching it. Mm. You think more? Third, second or third? Okay. Okay. I've at least watched it three times. Okay. What about you? So um, my history with this movie is now the reason. Now, okay. Godfather is definitely a man movie where people are like, oh, you haven't seen The Godfather, fucking Godfather. Um, <laughs> but he made I, a jerking off motion. <laughs> he said that. I just want, because they can't see us, so I want to paint a picture with my words. <laughs> but Die Hard is a movie that like, I never tried to watch. It was always mm-hmm. on like syndicated cable television. It was like always on TNT before TBS was very funny. It was always (laughs) on TBS. It was like in between, you know, the negotiator and reruns of the Drew Carey show. (laughs) Die Hard was just like always on at Christmas or just generally generally. It was like TNT TV because I think the like push to really like have it be a Christmas movie is in the past, like, 10 years, mm-hmm. but like in the late 90s and early 2000s, it was just a good just movie. A movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was TNT, TBS, and FX. I feel like we're always playing Die Hard. Mm-hmm. And so it, to me, the surprise was like, like, how did you, like, how'd you make it into to, this bridge before of conversation, this conversation bridge of we never had cable. Right. And so I didn't mm-hmm. even have those channels. Right. Well, yeah. <clears throat> so. Poor little me. Watching PBS. Anyways, but yes. Then for you, it'd be like, you mean you got to 18 and you've never seen an episode of uh, Zoom or (laughs) Zaboomafoo? Also, I think the title is, was super, I mean, it's not misleading because it is, it fits, but I think like, I thought it was a very different movie than what it is. Mm, I thought it was like a, essentially like a Schwarzenegger movie. More on that later. Okay. Um, (laughs) What about you, Quinn? Yeah. Oh, well, I actually never said my thing. Oh, I'm sorry. All, all throughout like, like just like watching it, watching it, watching it, um, seen it a million times. And then as the like push to reframe it as a Christmas movie took over, they started airing it on Christmas Eve. And so like around when I was around, <laughs> around when I was 20, um, I just had a very bizarre moment where I was like, should I say eight years ago or when I was 20? Mm. Do I reveal that I, that I was 28 <laughs> years ago? Uh, okay. Um, so yeah, like nine years ago when I was 20 at Christmas, um, eight a second ago. Yeah. Because I'm going to be 29 this coming Christmas. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and we're closer to next Christmas than last. Uh, just kidding. I'm one year older than you. (laughs) But, um, 
the same birth year as Taylor Swift, who We've looks exactly like Would producer Julie. Yes. Thank um, you. <laughs> now, uh, we came on at like 11 o'clock. And I just saw it. my mom and I were just like, do you want to watch Die Hard? And then the next year it came on again and we were like, you want to watch Die Hard? Uh, she was like waiting up basically to, you know, help my brother pretend Santa Claus existed. And then we did it. And then it became a thing of like, oh, should we always do like we did last year? <laughs> mm-hmm. And then basically it's just been this eight year tradition oh, wow. of like watching really Die nice. Hard on Christmas Eve. So cool. obviously my analogous my nostalgias my nostalgia's coming to bat real hard. Yeah. Uh Quinn, what's your history with this film? I mean your history is so storied and personal. <laughs> my history yeah. with Compete. it up until, you know, you and I started living together cool. and uh, we watched it on Christmas. I had just thought of it like a you know, p- pretty good action movie. Um, I think I had maybe seen it twice before, probably broken up into bits on cable mm-hmm. at least one of the times. Um, and I hadn't really given it much thought. I thought it was, you know, probably as good as any Arnold Schwarzenegger sure, movie. No, yeah, sure, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Um, and then we watched it and I was like, whoa, this was masterfully directed and this yeah. is a pretty good script and whoa, it's so fun. Right. Oh man, it's so fun. About to the coast, have a few laughs. <laughs> yeah. So this movie really brings the three of us together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's yeah. why this All is such a, a, a moment yeah. for us to bring mm. like, it's, it's not just a family film, but a film for our family. <laughs> exactly. Um, now so. Let's get critical. <clears throat> boom. Uh. Made for $28 million. It made $140 million. Not a lot of money for like a, a worldwide gross for like initial mm-hmm. release. Not a lot of money. Yep. But again, I, I, I couldn't find the numbers. I'm very curious about how much money it has made in in like syndication and how much like if Bruce Willis ever really had to work again if nothing else panned <laughs> mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Um, there, it, it is the first of five movies. The first three sequels, boom, 90, then 95, and then the fourth and fifth movies did not come out until recently. Um, and then this is, fun fact, this is based <gasps> on a book. Oh. The book is technically a sequel what? To another book called The Detective that came out in 1966. The film was made in 1968 with Frank Sinatra, who, because of his studio deal, technically was contracted to play John McClane. Whoa. Frank yeah. Sinatra? Frank Sinatra. It's a now, very different movie. Turned it down because he was like in his 70s and was like, this is not where my image is. Um, and then. And then it went to Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was like reworked. But then he wanted to, um, he was in the midst of trying to like rebrand to be more family friendly. Mm. Um, And so he didn't do it. Which he successfully did. Let's be honest. Oh, yeah. Uh, Twins, Mr. Mom. He nailed it. This was, I think it's, I think the first one, if I, if if I didn't write it down, um, 
Junior. Junior. That's was a good like one. The, yeah. Was the one that he was like, I want to do that instead to like help rebrand. You know, boop, kid, we haven't even mentioned Kindergarten Cop or Jingle All the Way. Right. You know? Got him straight uh, into the governor's office. Single one of these movies that you're talking about. <laughs> They're missable. Let's oh, be man. honest. Um, yeah, but yeah, so um, this film is consistently rated one of the like top 10, if not in the top five, uh, Christmas films and action films by, you know, various periodicals, Newsweek, Entertainment Weekly, Hollywood Reporter, AFI, etc. Um, this was the third film by the director. Um, the first film, never heard of it. His, the second film by John McTiernan was Predator. So this oh, was, yeah. So which is a great action flick. Yeah. And he's... Asleep. You fell asleep during Predator. That's like when my brother fell asleep line. at an Elton John concert. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, fun fact: he was is like a he was like a, a bit of like a paranoid conspiracy theorist. Illegally wiretapped a producer. Um, and then like committed perjury lying about it. And so he did, uh, a year in the early 2010s in federal prison. Um, yeah. Uh, the director, did he also write the screenplay? He did not. He did not. Um, Steven D'Souza and Jeb Stewart co-wrote the film. Um, but then Jeb Stewart, who didn't really go on to write anything. It was indeed his first film. Steven D'Souza had been writing stuff in the seventies. So we're not gonna talk about them now i want to talk a second about the book because the book is in my opinion a way more interesting idea Hmm. because this is like a really great it's a really great movie that this is a really great story that has been like sort of reworked to fit the different actors so it went through a number of you know circuitous routes to get to where it landed now in the movie in the book Nothing lasts forever. the The guy's name is Leland, That's but the he's book's title? The, the book's title. The, the book's title. Oh, the, this is the sequel to the detective. The sequel to the mm-hmm. detective. Okay. Nothing lasts forever. Um, and the, no, the instead of the Nakatomi Corporation, it's it's got another it's got another corporation name, but it's an oil corporation, and his and so he's there visiting his daughter. And not his wife, his daughter, for uh, their Christmas party, during which there is an actual terrorist group takeover that comes in, and they are they are robbing for a purpose. They're they're what they are attempting to do is expose the fact that this oil corporation played a key role in uh, the overthrow of. Allende in the Chilean military junta that established Pinochet. Oh, and wow. then, and so like, as he is, you know, same deal, barefoot alone, trying to work against these terrorists as it's happening, he's progressively learning more and more that his daughter played a key role oh, in their involvement and invest in investment in Pinochet's, uh, Pinochet's government. Hmm. Um, I think that that's just like a much, hmm. I want to see that movie. I don't yeah. want to get rid of Die Hard, but I want to Spoiler. see that hmm. movie. Um, I don't want to. We all heard it. All right. Uh, I was, okay. Um, uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but then, okay. So for Bruce Willis now, 
Bruce Willis was literally 12th. He was like no sooner than 12th on the list. It went to like, you know, because obviously uh, Sinatra, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Richard Gere, Warren Beatty, like all these different people just. I know, man, they went Uh. down the list. And the reason that they didn't want to do Bruce Willis was because up at the time he had only had one movie. Which was? Um, I'll find it. You can don't care. Um, I'm curious. But uh, it was something like Blind Date or mm. something like that. Um, it. it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't really anything. Um, oh. And then uh, he was in a very successful sitcom called Moonlighting. Hmm. And so he was this, you know, they were looking for these, you know, action stars. And then you've got this one comedy guy. Um, it's very similar actually to Michael Keaton and Batman because he at hmm. the time was a, a comedy actor who didn't have like a big action body. And so like, as, as previously discussed, uh, like people were outraged by Keaton's casting. And so they had to like rush release a trailer, um, to get people excited. But he, um, only was able to do the film because like when they offered it to him, he still, he turned it down <laughs> because of his moonlighting contract, but his co-star Sybil Shepard got pregnant. And so they had to pause in filming <laughs> and that's when he was able to do oh, uh, wow. the, that's because yeah, that's when he got so lucky. Like, yeah. Cause every movie that he's like, his best roles are like this movie. And, like, right. Could have never this, done that. Like the action comedy heartfelt yeah. Right. Yeah, it set the trajectory Crazy. for his. We would have career. never had the fifth, fifth element. element. Oh my god! I know. Right, never had the fifth element. Uh, oh, he's so ne- sad. That's the biggest. Had other movies. The most important uh, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, sixth sense. We don't know where we fall on the sixth sense. Um, but it definitely affected him in terms of his abilities as a lead leading man in a movie. So yeah, yeah I mean, it definitely wow. affected the sixth sense. Um, so something that also happened and I'm going to say something shortly, uh, about someone else, but the way that this movie was filmed, man, they really, <laughs> hopefully this shit doesn't still go down, but his first fit her, the first scene that he filmed was the fire hose scene where Whoa. he jumps the, off the it, roof. He is Hi. being uh, the, the, he knows the roof is about to explode. Helicopters, there's a man in a helicopter with this like extremely high powerful sniper rifle mm-hmm. that is like, sh- you know, he's shooting, get, shooting, at shooting at Bruce Willis, <laughs> thinks he's a terrorist. They, they don't, they have already stated they don't really care about even the hostages. So they're just like shooting, trying to kill him. So he knows the roof is about to explode. So he ties a fire hose around his waist and runs and jumps off the roof. <laughs> um, yeah. And so the, it's the first thing that he shot. That's crazy. Runs, jumps off of, it was a fifth floor uh, the fifth floor of a parking garage Shit. lands on, you know, the, the, bag the like crash bag now the explosion literally sent him like to the end of the bag like he was not far from missing it and true or not true sources are cited but this still could you know who's to say if even what he told was told was accurate 
he was like, why are they like, why would we film that first? Why would we not work up to mm-hmm. that scene? And the response he was given was that they wanted to make sure they had the time and the budget remaining to do reshoots if they had to recast. Like if he got super Like if he had missed the bag. Oh my God. Then they had to recast the film. They wouldn't have all this like footage that That they would have to scrap. That is dark. Fucking nuts. Well, we're also getting to first feature film by Alan Rickman. Yes. Mm. Stage and Shakespeare actor. So feature Severus Snape. This also set the tone of his career. Now he was already playing like Jaquise and different darker uh, stage roles, but this definitely set the tone for him as like the sort of deep voiced British, mm-hmm. you know, unsympathetic villain. Mm-hmm. Um, now he, the uh, fun fact is the scene where they get run in, that he runs into McLean on like, when he's checking out uh, the C4 not in the original script, mm. the um, they when they found out that he could do a convincing American accent, <laughs> they added. Then it. they they added the scene in. That's great, yeah. Um, where he pretends to be one of the hostages oh, to like boy. trick. John. Oh God! Oh, oh God! Please, you're one of them, me, please God! You're one of them, aren't you? You're one of them. Made it. Uh, I was trying to get to the roof. Right. I, I'm just it's like devolving into Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I'm uh, a Clay, <laughs> Bill Clay. <laughs> um, but uh, you know what? I'm just going to jump in and say this real quick for all of uh, the thousands of listeners out there. If there happen to be any of you that have not seen the movie Die Hard, mm. just go ahead. Pause. This we'll podcast. wait. Sub, yeah. yeah. Pause the podcast. We'll, we'll wait. We'll be ready for you. Watch it. We're just. I mean, I think spoilers are are expected, but we're literally going to be if you're fine with spoilers, but you're not fine with constant quoting. Then yeah, you, this is going to be hard. Yeah. Oh, also, no, you'll just be better off. It's for everyone's benefit. Really, so seriously. here we go. Um, Pause. You don't know. I haven't said how I feel about it. Ooh. Oh, welcome back. I'm glad right. you watched yeah. that. Um, <laughs> great. And then, uh, but then. Um, so for him, he Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Uh, oh yeah, because we took we a break. It's been a couple right, hours for you. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he. One of the when he got the something cool is when he got the draft, the first draft. Uh, Hans Gruber was in military regalia, and he like told the team that he thought that he should be in a suit that like it would be cool or it would be better if they weren't in military gear. And he was like a sleek, you know, professional looking guy. Internationally Mm. educated. And he was told, well, you're going to fucking wear what we tell you to wear. Oh shit. And then he's like, and the next draft had Hans Gruber in a suit. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but the thing Weird that power move. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. The, but the thing that I was uh, referring to earlier was that, so in the scene where Hans has been shot and falls through the window, but is hanging on to Holly's wrist and Bruce Willis and, and his wife, uh, Bonnie Bedelia are trying to 
get rid of like to get his hand off so that he falls to his death. Um when they did it, they did it similar style, up five flights, onto a crash pad, and he's hanging. They, you know, they told him how long he would be hung, and then they would do the drop. Um, they went with the first take because they deliberately dropped him oh my God. prematurely. Oh my God. Um, and so to get to get the, the real, real fear, face. you oh know. Oh my god. Um, and he yeah, it's like people are terrible. Yeah. Uh, the, the way that it was phrased was he was very unhappy about it. <laughs> um, yeah. That's it's it's like this is unrelated, but uh Regardless of anyone seen the abyss, there is a scene in James Cameron's The Abyss where Ed Harris was like he had to swim across this one area and come up. Well, like they had f- basically ended up forcing him to do it. And it was like a really long huh. distance. Huh. And he like basically barely oh made it. And then when he climbed out. Apparently, the first thing he did was walk over and punch James Cameron in the ah, face. Yes. Oh, so, you know, that counts for... Directors, if you're listening, don't yeah. do that to your actors. Or be right. ready for the repercussion. Yes. There you go. Or be punched in the face. Um, so, other people, um, his wife, uh, Holly... Bo- his wife, um, Bonnie Bedelia... Was, uh, plays Holly McLean or Holly Gennaro. Mm-hmm. Um, she had been working since 1969. Wow. regularly wow um a, a additional wow is that she was you know she had a number of brothers but they were orphaned when she was like 14 both her her mother and father died you know, shortly very closely together um her but bedelia is not her actual last name actual last name Culkin. As in? As in. As in she she's their parent? aunt. Oh, aunt. Okay. Oh, yeah. Cool. Wow. Right? Um, Alexander Gudinov plays um, uh, Carl. I think Carl, his name. yeah. yeah. The um, angry brother. The angry, angry blonde uh, brother. German. Fun fact, he... Ballet dancer, a premier oh, Russian you. ballet you dancer, <laughs> ah, cool. like same year, same like class uh, at the Bolshoi as um, as Baryshnikov, also defected to the United. I mean, he's kind of an also ran in a way because like <laughs> it's, it's really unfortunate to be a principal <laughs> dancer at the Bolshoi Ballet is like basically the height that anyone can accomplish, um, but then. Yeah. So, but he then, when working at, um, when working in, I, I, I believe it was American Ballet Theater, basically had a falling out with Baryshnikov. So he left the company under his that was being run by him. So then he like started touring with his own company. Blah blah blah. Um, then Reginald Val Johnson. Mm. Uh, this was his first big film role. Everything else that he's credited as, it's lots of like. Officers, lots of like unnamed titled roles. This is his first like he played, big um, named role. Powell, the cop. Sergeant Al Powell. No. And this is one year before, so I could only imagine that it helped put him in the position to be cast as um as the lead in Family Matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did I do that? Did I do that? Oh, <laughs> uh, what is I always get 
Family Matters and and uh, Full House's theme song is confused. Oh, I know neither. Right. I I know that like I always end up singing one into the other. Um, <laughs> I think Full House is everywhere shows. you look. Right. But, uh, but it is whatever happened to predictability. Who's been in the paper boy? The evening TV. Miss your familiar friends. Just waiting just around the bit. I, I don't know. I've, I've, I've literally yeah, don't know which one right. I'm singing right now. I have no <laughs> idea. Um, Call in. Let us yeah. know. Then, uh, yeah. So this movie gets referenced all the time as like the epitome of manliness, the epitome of like an action movie. Friends, Joey, Ross, and Chandler worship Die Hard. There's a moment, there's one great scene where they like, they always yell it. They're always like, Die Hard. But then, uh, there's even a moment where um, they rent Die Hard and then they're about to watch Die Hard 2. And then um, the channel's like, Joe, this is Die Hard 1 again. He goes, yeah, well, watch it again. It's Die Hard 2. <laughs> um, but then uh, then lots of lots of films, lots of like action films have, um, you know, follow a very similar plot. And it has been you. It has become a metonym for like a style of movie. I mean, anytime when someone's like, uh, you know, it's common when you're like explaining a movie to somebody, but it's like, it's like die hard, but for the circus, it's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's a movie that I want to see. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so like, it's become basically al- almost synonymous with its own sort of genre. genre. It's the die hard um, of Easter movies. Boom. Um, actually, I literally think that there is a sixth, uh, movie in pre-production and Easter is attached. (laughs) Oh no. Um, are these different holidays? No, 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 two and three are like unrelated to, I'm pretty sure. Two takes place in the snow, but I don't know if it's Christmas Eve or not. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there's some sort of, oh, like, uh, I'm just thinking of, Easter. All the stupid things that can be done for Easter, mm-hmm. um, like Easter, like some sort of diehard Easter egg hunt. Um, but cool things. Um, the ending wasn't finalized at the time of the starting of filming. Um, Sweet. So there's a number of like fun discrepancies, like the truck that drives in was not big enough to fit an EMS like an EMT mm. van. So then later when an EMT van drives out, it's, it's like, it's just a new <laughs> nice. bigger truck. Um, they also walk out of the back of said truck and there's no EMS van. In there. <laughs> um, yeah. I have something to say about that. And then the other thing is this, uh, heavily utilizes, uh, Beethoven's ninth also mm. ode to joy as fun word, pretentious alert for the day. Liet motif. Liet motif. Huh? Lay motif. Liet motif. Liet motif. Liet motif. I'm calling it Liet motif. I've heard it pronounced lay motif. I've heard it pronounced Liet motif. Ooh. Hmm. Look at all of us being pretentious. Whoa. Anyway, Uh, go on. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's basically like having, you know, otherwise being uh, a personal theme, you know, like as when the terrorists are doing anything, it's sort of being subtly. Worked da, in da, in the da, background, da, 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 and then sometimes it's even like uh, it's huh. Light motif. Light motif. Light motif. Everyone's wrong. Right. Okay, Julie, you're not on <laughs> mic. Um, but 
Lightbit. They, um, Julie knows music too, so. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, but yes, yeah, there's a lot of uh, Ode I remember eh? the, the Amadeus backlash. Oh, yeah. um, I'll never forget. But yeah, it's even woven in and varied to be like, boom, boom, yeah. Right. It's like more abstract. And the, um, the uh, uncareful watcher of the movie might confuse it at some points for a Christmas song. And even think Don't after the movie is over. <laughs> How dare you? I um, just because it's a Christmas movie, supposedly. Then why don't they be a Christmas? Anyways. Well, uh, <laughs> then the big line is certainly uh, "Yippee Kaye, motherfucker." Yeah. Mm. It's like the big line. Um, also, there's a lot of uh, people like moments where in action films where people are crawling through uh, air shafts. Mm. Uh, first send one. up to this I movie. Yeah. Mm. Um, it happens so often, including Fifth Element. One might yeah. say the Fifth Element is a sci-fi diehard. Diehard in space. Diehard in space. Sci-fi hard. Come on, guys. It's sitting right there. Oh. Um, as with most low-hanging fruit. As with most, and that's where we are. We're in the gutter, yeah, okay? That's true. We're not fucking... We're in the basement. Motif, yeah, the right fucking... Use. We say... <laughs> we say liet motif. We don't say... We say light motif. We say right lay motif. Not to be confused with a... Just a light motif. Just a light motif. We're not laying it on thick here. It's just a light motif. Um, yeah. Can, may, may we? May we vote? May we vote? I don't know. I don't know. May we? May we? <laughs> may we? Oh, mm. French. I don't speak it. I mean, one. You said, but yes. Two. 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 Yeah, Quinn's getting it. Three. Keep, keep it. it. I was. St- yeah, I obviously also want to keep it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, well. You know. Not obviously. What? No, it's it wasn't obvious, especially when you it. you. Really spit some hot fire when you were like, <laughs> you really spit some hot fire when you were like, you know, men. all these men well, no, wanted me to see as the movie. As you said, when you were talking about it's uh, how it is, a, you know, con- always being referred to as like the biggest macho movie and like referenced a lot. Fair, fair. But I retract everything. I thank you. Uh, but it's interesting because to me, this movie. It makes so much reference to... Uh, we're now discussing the movie, Quinn, just so you know. Uh, we've moved um, on to the stage three. That it is it is certainly very, um, you know, I guess like act, vi- action-y, violent, whatever, but it makes a big point in a lot of ways to, to like specifically call out macho behavior mm-hmm. as problematic and dangerous and like unhelpful um Mm. in so many ways like both there's like a recurring motif about like cowboys and like the sort of trope of like western images of like like you know the cowboy who's like this lone guy who gets shit done you know and my favorite Um, moment which is uh they're they've been cautioned against direct military action against the um quote-unquote terrorists and instead the police like chief sends in the SWAT team and they say to him, all right, we're ready to go in. And he, he just <laughs> says in response, kick ass. Right, yeah. yeah. And then they rush in and get, you and know, get shot right, to get death. And there's so many. Send in the car. Right, Send in the car. <laughs> yeah, this giant like armored car. So right, like all the police, like and the FBI especially, like yeah. the, the just like doing this thing that is so like, yeah, this is like cool and we're going to take them down which like takes into consideration nothing about the actual situation right. and like they don't believe you know the like 
cop who's like slightly lower on the totem pole and like in the the fbi the two johnson and johnson the two fbi agents when they're like in the helicopter no relation going towards no relation going towards the building the one the one johnson i believe he's little johnson and the other is big johnson according to the credits um, oh, really? yeah uh he's got like this the sniper rifle and he's like holding on to the helicopter and he's like mm. it's just like in nam no, uh, and you know just and, like saigon, saigon yeah. <laughs> and so it's like you know making it a point of like the two idiots essentially yeah. it's like what we're supposed to think of them like glorifying like war and like violence and like yeah, yeah. my job is cool you know and so like even though john mcclain like has to use a lot of violence to do the job like still and like that is part of the draw of the movie is like the cool actiony like mm-hmm. violent stuff that he does too um like it just it does like it's so intentionally throughout sort of like he comments on the stupid like shows of masculinity that like are made by the other people on the outside right. um so i feel like that is a sort of like subversion of the thing, which is like especially helpful if a lot of dudes are like, this is such a cool movie. Cause like whether or not they're aware of it, it's like they're getting the message of like, don't just be macho for the sake of being macho. Like that's mm. not helpful. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've already talked about this um, on this podcast yet, but it's very, uh, the movie's take on violence and I guess just violence is very Jesuitical. Ooh. Um, we have not it, talked about this. Okay. Uh, wh- one of the. Um, I think he gets the. He wins. The <laughs> uh, um, one of the, I guess, like <laughs> tenets of the Jesuits is to descend into the particular, right? And so they're against broad principles because principles, um, they ignore the particular and the specifics of each case. Um, but John McClane, he descends into the particular. He says, hey, these particular, you know, terrorists don't seem to be normal terrorists. Hey, they seem to have a freaking rocket launcher. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Whereas the, you know, the military system at large, the police, the FBI, they pay no attention to the particulars and they go, as they say, by the book. Mm. Um, And so I think something that it really... They've got the International Terrorist Playbook, and they're running it step terrorist by hostage, step. Terrorist, hostage, terrorist. Oh, my we'll God. We'll get to that. Wait, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, it It um, very actively uh, supports uh, descending into the particular, mm. because it, al- it also doesn't say that the use of violence is wrong, because mm-hmm. as John McClane says, uh, he's cornered one of the bad guys, oh, yeah. and the guy says, you can't... Kill me. You're a cop. You're, you're, you're a policeman. There are Police rules, rules for policemen. Yeah. And his response is, yeah, it's what my captain, captain keeps telling me yeah, as he right. pistol whips the guy. Yeah. Um, so, like, there is, it seems there are times where the use of force maybe is necessary or at least is uh, yeah. defensible. Right. Especially after seeing them just, like, in cold right. blood kill somebody when they said they, like, when they clearly shouldn't yeah. have done Right. That. So like, it's not a movie that ahead. espouses principles. Mm. Yeah, but really, and and so we've got another fun. issue. That <laughs> My husband's smart. <laughs> then we got another issue where if we look at like the eighties and the way that, uh, well, just generally speaking, the depiction of police militarism and also the like like renegade cop. Um, mm. Generally speaking, there is this like glorification of the tough cop that, you know, does the dirty work to get the job done. And you see that with that moment where he's like, you know, not only is that an indication that he's willing to hurt this guy, but it also shows that, like, he's done it in the past. Mm -hmm. So 
it's kind of this moment where you're like, oh, is that who this guy is? Um, but then you see two things. One, with the SWAT team, they get, despite all of everything that they're doing and, and their lack of regard for the hostages, which is more of a comment about the FBI, because when they're going to kill the terrorists on the roof, they make the comment that they can get all the hostages, they get all the terrorists, uh, lose, lose 20, 20, 25% of the hostages. I, I can, can live, live with, with that. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but they get utterly humiliated. Mm-hmm. And then we see, you know, and also in, in normal movies that are glorifying this, we also know in the, like while they're glorifying this and setting, you know, putting out these images for people who want to go and be policemen, this film takes a moment where it, he's where you see it with Al Powell, Reginald Val Johnson, where he's showing that like, he made when he like talks about the fact that when he was a rookie, he saw a kid, you know, this is LA, you know, there's just generally speaking LA there, there's a lot of gun violence in, in, in lots of your major cities. Yeah. And so he mistakenly took it for a, okay, I'm done. Okay. You just can't be married about everything. I said nice to uh, go. I'm supporting but, my husband wet. <laughs> um, We're married. But they, um, you know, just, just to like have him reflect on the mistake, which we see, which happens all the time of just like young kids being seen as, you know, uh, like, oh, they were in the shadows and the pol- the police officer not only didn't take the time, but in a lot of ways is trained not to take the time to see what the situation actually is and moves. And all we see contemporarily in a lot of ways is the cover up. Mm. So to actually have a moment showing the fact that like you've got a police officer who killed this kid in a way that like it just upended his whole life. And then also to see Bruce Willis after he says that acknowledge that like, Oh, this wasn't like a, Oh man sucks. He was like, you see on his face that like, that he feels like he, he like is empathizing with how awful that must have been. Right. He's not just like, Oh, it happens, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, he didn't go, yeah, but like it could have been a gun. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't right. say that. He was just like, you know, fuck, that's, it's more like a, a situation where they're both realizing that they were there at that time of night to protect that kid. Mm. And he they ended up killing that kid. Um, so there's like this reflection on police violence that, Mm-hmm. we don't see in other police movies to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in ones that aren't just about police violence and, you know, the toll of brutality and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just in this normal movie. Um, yeah. So I liked, I liked that 
a lot. And you also see compounding their humiliation, not just in how it plays out, but like that Hans, everything they do that they think they're like, you know, you know, strutting their stuff about like is a part of the terrorists. Right. They know expressly. Play into it. Yeah. yeah. like, we also, right. should we come up with a new term for the, uh, right. Cause they're not terrorists. Really. The evil dudes, the, the bad guys, right, because they're, yeah, they're not terrorists. They're really right. just like, robbers. we're playing into their hands to call Who them terrorists. said we would terrorists. Exactly. Right. Like you're nothing but a common thief. Can we yeah. say, yeah, should we say, exceptional thieves? should we say <laughs> the <laughs> exceptional thieves then? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, now I've, all right. I, Ooh, this let's, is gonna be good. I'm curious about open it up. Yeah, let's move on to Crack it the representation of women. Yeah. Ooh, um, okay. So you only have what now? The the I've forgotten it because she's not super relevant. But pregnant. the woman who is pregnant does have a name. Um. So when asking about whether or not she thinks the baby would mind if she had a drink, and she's like, "That baby's ready to ten bar." That does pass the Bechtel test. Um, it's a low bar. It's no, not supposed I, it's to be like no, no, a no. promise. Like, I know. And that's why I like, honestly, this is another bigger conversation, but like the Bechtel test, I, I don't think it's no, so it, relevant to like, like, I don't right. think it's a great thing to have to be it's, Maybe I'll get rid of the Bechtel. No, I wouldn't get rid of it. Whoa, wow. I would change it. I would certainly that's change it. That's going to end up Because it's just like, media. it becomes a way, not that this is what you're doing, but a way for like people to be like, well, it checked the box. It's good. You know, oh, of course. Uh, which is like right. super unhelpful. Like it actually almost makes it worse because like there's a metric that you can then say you followed and feel like you have like created something that is right. fine. You know, when, instead of being like, Ooh, how do we make this better right. for the women involved? Well, we have to actually do that versus being like, well, she has a name. She has a name. They said a line to each other, right. you know, agreed. It should never be forgotten that the Bechtel test is not a test conceived of by Alice and Bechtel. It, was a it cartoon. is a cartoon yes. making a joke <laughs> yes. about how little movies accomplish those yes. three things. And so the not, fact that it has yeah. now become like, a, Oh, well let's use right. it as a metric um, is like actually even, we, we would take this worse. moment to send you to look up. I think it was in the Hollywood Reporter. It might have been on Deadline. They asked a number of uh, women and people of color to think, like, what is an actual, perhaps, like, metric, a system of metrics that includes representation on screen and representation in the creative team that can help determine whether or not uh, a film is actually um, doing a like a good job with like equal representation. Mm -hmm. um, so we will divert you there. Okay. Um, and we'll now, pause. The, the yeah. I thought, now the reason being, uh, welcome back is so <laughs> basically Holly is the only significant female character in the film. However, panning over her office at this office work party, like, the this corporate like where she works is certainly it's depicted to yeah employ uh, a lot of women and she's certainly second in command i think so yes this this movie i think is great in that way because it is very much the perspective this movie is totally the point of view of john like it is john's movie um and so like she has you know she has like she's introduced without him and whatever but like to me, like, yes, she is, because the crux of their, the question of their relationship is, 
him having these old fashioned values about like, even though he like won't admit it of like what he expects their marriage to be. And like this sort of Damas, like de- what, what did de- Emas- 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 Thank you. I was literally like thinking of that and being like, that's not the word it's emasculate. Anyways. Great. Um, you know, feeling emasculated by the fact that she, his wife is like making more money than him, more successful than him, you know, like has this big job, has this corner office. And like that, that is sort of like the rift of their relationship. And because, and like the whole, for him, the whole journey is like at the end, like the whole point of all this violence and this crazy thing is like this huge regret about not fulfilling that for her and not allowing himself to change because she is more important and like to accept the fact that like his wife is this powerful person and like that he should support that. Like, so I, I, yeah, so it's like, ideally there would, I guess, be like more of a subplot for Holly, but because this is like very clearly meant to be his point of view of the movie, like I feel like the, um, it's, it's in my mind, it makes sense. And I'm fine with it being about like his, transformation of his own point of view towards her um in a way again kind of like the whole like macho stuff for the sake of being macho is not cool in a way that i feel like for a man watching this movie like that might be the message you take away from it and you know without feeling like you're being talked down to or something you know like seeing a man who you can you like want to be being like i want to support my partner uh and like uh, celebrate her success Mm -hmm. you know i think is like a really awesome helpful thing I also think, and, and this is definitely a smaller point uh, coming after that, but um, she, as Steven said, she's like second in command at this big old corporation. Um, and there's no explanation. Mm-hmm. There's no, so often when right. a woman is successful in media, it's like because she blank. Mm. Right. Or because the competition blank. Yeah. Um, but or no, she's a she, ruthless bitch. Right, exactly. Yeah, gotcha. And it does it does show her like the first shot we see of her, I think, um, shows everyone else at the party having yep. fun and she's like carrying papers off to go finish Excellent up some work. Visual storytelling. Yeah, it really is. And then and then when he first arrives to see her, they say, Oh, she's down she's like getting taking things to the vault, vault or something. Which, um so she's like check, working check. through Difficult this party. To do. Which <laughs> okay, seven layers of locks. Yeah, you gotta and, be smart. Yeah. But it like paints her as this hard worker, mm-hmm. yeah. but there's never anything of like, exactly, she stabbed in the back or she's Right, and they do mention is. like she's she, just she just like was strong. part of the reason they like closed a big deal and right. like she is recalled, like I think Ellis, her coworker, calls her like tough or like something great, but also we see like her talking to her kids on the phone. Like she is all right. those things and like, you know, in a way that is really helpful. Like she is maternal or what, you know, like cares about her children wants to reconcile with her husband, is really good at her job, mm. can be like quote unquote tough, which really just means like level-headed probably. And like right. throughout the whole crisis, you see all these people like freaking out and she's like very calm mm. throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like one of the most level-headed. And she's the, she like goes to Gruber to be like, there's a pregnant woman, we need a couch, you know, and like she's super like cool about mm. it the whole time. Um, yeah, so I think she's pretty awesome. I I also, in thinking about... The end of the movie. So when it is revealed, because there is a ruthless reporter that like (laughs) when it's revealed that when her kids are on TV and Gruber sees her seeing them and then he like sees this turned down picture frame, turns it up, sees that it's she's married to Bruce Willis. um, He then like 
get, sends everyone to the roof, but then keeps her with them. Um, in many cases, this could be like an argument that she's being damseled, uh, that she is now like the, an agencyless damsel in distress. So I, in interrogating that, mm. I was thinking something that makes this a little bit different. One, her capture isn't the top of the plot point. It's like the end, like something else in the plot happened that then led to that as opposed to her being captured to get John to do something. True. Yeah. Her being captured did not. And not only that, her being captured didn't affect like John really in any way, because he would have still, he found out on the roof that they had, they had her, but he was still sending everyone down. He still would have, he wouldn't have just been like, okay, I've got Holly. I'm done now. He still would have gone after right. Hans. And I feel like because they show before it, she gets captured, um, Ellis, the coworker, is like, I'm going to go talk to them. Like that he gets killed and like, you know, was trying to negotiate mm-hmm. and whatever. And like, so we kind of know, we know that like she is really good at her, good at her job, good at yeah. speaking, like level headed, like all of those things. But it's already been shown to us that like that is not going to help her. Hmm, right. And so like, I think it's not, yeah, like if she had been the first, if, if Ellis hadn't been captured, like if we hadn't seen that whole thing play out, then like potentially it would have felt a little bit more like she's helpless. Mm-hmm. But we know that like these people will just kill her. You know, like we just right. sort of know that like she has no recourse. Like she doesn't have a weapon. She's not like a physical fighter because that's just like not her realm. Um, and like the things that she is really good at are not going to matter against these people. Um, right. Yeah. Now we have the inarguable problem of those. I, I don't know. How do we feel about the centerfolds? Oh, yeah, so we, we were talking about, I, I have very uh, layered feelings about them. Whoa. So um, uh, let's, let's <laughs> separate that MILF one. MILF one. I don't know how to say it. Milf? Nice. No, you nailed it. No, separate that MILF. It's a no. type of layered cake. <laughs> uh, uh, it's there, delicious. There's, just to give a little context, in the hallway of one of the parts of the building, there's like a centerfold of this like mm. topless model. And it's in like an elevator uh, shaft, so it's like it's like clearly a place where like... Right. Maintenance workers People are big, work, like not not else. the effete uh, <laughs> cocaine bumping business people. Yeah, words today. Right. Yeah, n- really nailing it. Yeah. Um, no, so so I like that about it. I like that again. It's visual storytelling. It paints the picture of this is a like you said, like a blue collar workers' private workspace mm-hmm. um, that like whatever electrician they have on call would just like be here and you know <laughs> maybe spend some time with his pinup girl. Yeah. Um, while he's on the clock and like, it tells that whole possible story just, uh, just with, with the brush of a camera. Um, I, and then I also, as Bruce Willis's character passes this pinup, he takes about a, I would say full second or a second and a half to clock it. Um, and then keeps walking, uh, which yes, given the dire situation you're in, Come on, <laughs> right? Exactly. But also, it's not untrue to the way you know any given man, when confronted with bare breasts, would act, um, or just running through an empty elevator shaft and suddenly, and suddenly pages of a magazine are taped to the wall. But right. But also, yeah. But so, so in the handling of it, it just rings true to me. But then also, it 
they could have had the camera linger on the breasts. They could have had him linger on the breasts and the camera linger on his reaction. Could they did neither. Those breasts. I was going to say that. <laughs> but... Got a it right into that paper. <laughs> so I don't think it is as gratuitous oh as it Sorry. could have been. But as we were watching it, Gina made the point to me, uh, she could have been wearing a bathing suit. And yeah. I have no. Just, I have been no. Should have happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and then. Did agree? Yeah, <laughs> with everything he said. Um, and then uh, question: Since this is such a wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, film in the art of visual storytelling, <laughs> it really is. Do we feel that the film is making an argument that the her career is a bit of the enemy? As part of the deal, her gift, a right. watch, at the very end, Hans Gruber is hanging and only able to hold on to Holly by the watch and is only able to, like, the way that they get him off is by undoing letting and breaking the watch, the watch and letting the watch fall. Yeah, this watch that she was given as a prize for closing a huge deal. Right. Yeah, so symbolizing, right, like... Like, you better let go of that shit. I know I apologized money. earlier, but... Well, and, you know, in the final shot says the bearer bonds rain down. Thousands of dollars is not as important as hugging the person you love. I do think the the movie says that in no uncertain mm. terms that like money is not the most important thing. All right. Oh, like it's saying not only was he wrong not to support her, but also she shouldn't have valued money so much. Right. I, I mean, it's, it's a complicated yeah. end for yeah. their relationship. I don't see it as like he realized he was wrong. They're going to live happily in Los Angeles. Okay. The second sentence is, I feel like, is key. Well, <laughs> because we also, she doesn't have any lines, I think, when they right. leave. So uh, we just don't really know. She punches the reporter rightfully. And, so. But then there's Did this really weird, that? there's this moment right before that where um, Reginald Vell Johnson says to her, yeah. like, you've got a great man there. You better, better take care help. of him. Yeah, and she gets true. no response. She has no line. Mm. It's true. You better take care of him. Right. It's yeah. true. Um, that is a great point. The only thing she does in the end is they go, um, he goes, this is my wife, Holly Gennaro, and she goes, Holly McLean. It's true. She, right. Throughout the movie, she's been like, went back to her maiden name. Right. Yeah, you know. Hmm. And so, like, not to say that the movie assumes that she is going to fall back into her place um, and, you know, support him and quit her job. But there's a compromise. But that, yeah, I think it, it, it is leading to some sort of compromise in their relationship, but that, yeah, maybe it is rebuking mm. her in some way for valuing money too much. Yeah. It's worth it to say that in Die Hard 2, they are like on dire straits again. Like it's, oh, really? it's not like they're a happy family <laughs> when the sequel picks well, up. That wouldn't be much of uh, a no. movie. Right. Uh, but, um, unless it's a horror movie. Yeah. Starts right. out all good. True, true. Um, my favorite thing though, uh, something that I thought was that I really liked is when they're arguing about their relationship in the beginning, like when they're when he first arrives, and uh, you know he's like, you know, you did this because you know your decision to come out here it changed our marriage, and she like it changed what you know our marriage, our marriage means. means, and she's like, no, it changed your idea of what our marriage should mean mm -hmm. that like. The, the fact that they're like having this conversation about the fact that like she and like she's calling him out on the fact that like he as a man is 
is believing that his career should matter more than hers and that he she should make her decisions around him and that she's like calling that out directly mm-hmm. i think it, yeah it, it does mm-hmm. not is 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 a rarity in terms yeah. of it, its representation agreed yeah i'm i'm just thinking about this ending a lot now um and i think yeah i i feel like it is potentially like there is a level of it where it is like i don't like a compromise I guess, I mean, like, he's clearly a really, well, he seems to be a pretty good cop. I guess mm-hmm. I was like, do I actually think that because of the whole thing about, like, my sergeant keeps telling me there's rules and <laughs> I'm not following? Yeah, him. he's actually... So about to say, like, maybe, like, that compromise is a good, like, is actually a thing that they both maybe need because, like, I think it is, unre- like, just as it's unrealistic or, like, unhelpful for, like, a man to be, like, oh, you have a job that you love? Too bad, leave it, because this is my life. Like, it's the same, like, if it's black and white for on either direction, like, that's just not helpful. Um, but I just, like, and so I think we're supposed to think he's a good cop, like, good mm-hmm. at his job, and, like, he loves his job, even though he's, like, ah, put all these years and trying to get these guys behind, but, right. like, he's, like, beaten down by it. In other words, he's you didn't think she was going to make it out here, so you were, like, why bother to pack, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I said, you're very fast, our guy. <laughs> But yeah, so I think I feel like the compromise makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that like that's a thing I'm okay like still keeping with yeah. like that idea I guess yeah. of it at the end. Yeah. Uh, 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 a flaw would then be that we don't really get to see. All we see is that she has a career mm-hmm. and that it took her to L.A. Not that we don't actually get to see the ways in which she has done anything wrong. We're just sort of Mm -hmm. taking it on faith that she is overvaluing money or, or Or, I mean, even just the fact that like she moved the kids with her, I don't know. They're like, yeah, we, we aren't given much information, but like, um, it does. Yeah. That maybe she like expecting him also to be able to like leave his career that he's had forever. And like, I feel like he probably grew up in New York. I just like get the sense that like that's his world. Like the expectation, like you'll come with me is also potentially like a flaw. If one of you was like, I, uh, I've been offered the second. We are a perfect couple. If you were like, (laughs) this is my wife. How dare you? Okay. And if, if, if she was like, Hey, I've got this opportunity to make like $600,000 a year. You as a policeman are making 45. <laughs> uh, let's go. Do you want to go to LA? Um, I don't think that we can put ourselves in that situation because our, our industries are connected, you know, like in a way that they're so not, they're not different. Right. She's like, I'm getting paid $600 million. Let right. me. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's like you. he could know. he could transfer. Couldn't he become a cop? Yeah. in L.A. Yeah, it's true. That's interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Shall we take a sharp left turn and Ellis? Uh, Ellis. Oh well, let's <laughs> let's cover Ellis real quick. I mean, what needs to be said about Ellis? Well, at first, the um, oh, the first thing you see. Really? The first lines that are said to Holly, which is the difficult thing, is the first lines that are said to Holly are her being sexually harassed by a coworker, um, and her shooting him down. Yeah, she's shooting him down, but it's like I- instead of the first thing we see of this working woman, instead of seeing her working, we just get her being 
harassed. Which it, I believe is like a yeah. daily occurrence probably for her life. I'm not saying it I'm not saying it like shouldn't no, happen. No, no, I'm just like I, I think it's kind of a great way to start yeah. personally. But because uh she like we see what probably happens all the time and she shoots him down and no. like continues. And then uh and then what should happen is he then gets shot. Which which he does, does happen. Yeah, no, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean exactly. it, yeah because like right. he's like this <laughs> like he's a, one of these people who it's like okay well yes he sucks but uh, one, people who suck, um, it, there, it's, if you don't have people who suck, then you really don't have equal representation. Um, <laughs> and I'd like to remind you of that when you think again about the fans of this musical artist who you don't like. Oh. And you said we should get rid of them. Anyways, could you keep going? It was meant to be a joke, not like a burn on you. <laughs> Let me just Let's knock see. this water glass over. Um, but, yeah, that, but also his comeuppance comes entirely from his own vices yeah. as well. We don't even, it's not even the thing where he f- falls into a crevasse from an earthquake or something like that, when it's like, oh, thank God that guy's dead. It's that he snorts cocaine, well, goes like, up and tries to lie. He's another version of the masculinity that this movie is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need this. because And even, of valuing money. Right, right, even from the fact of the first scene is him sexually harassed. Like he approaches everything believing he should have it mm-hmm. and including this situation he approaches yeah. it believing like i got this i'm a white man i have a lot of money i've always been given everything i can figure that i can fix this yeah. problem and instead he makes it way worse and he dies right so i feel like it is again like <laughs> uh that's just the fact yeah. yeah uh because he really makes it a lot worse because he reveals the fa- he essentially leads to the revelation that like holly is john's wife and therefore like puts her in danger does he yeah because he says he called. He says his name. He says John McClane. Yeah, but she goes by Holly Gennaro, and he hasn't seen the photo. Well, no, he no, doesn't recognize right. Bruce Willis. She no, gives him they don't her, know name, his or name his name at all. So then they, the reporters can look up John McClane and figure out that he has a wife, Holly Gennaro, who works at this company. We meet the kids. Ah, it yes. All, yeah. No, you're 100 so, like, right. So he messes it up, right. and he dies. And so yeah, it's like, fucking... don't be that type of right. toxic masculinity either. Or the fucking reporter. Jesus. The yeah. fucking the reporter is like... Awful. Yeah, yeah. What was your left turn? Though? Yeah, what was your left turn? Well, let's um, circle back if, around. Yeah, if left we're <laughs> let's take four we, left. Yeah, turns. now let's take the final left turn into a right. Four left turn. turns in a circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah same thing. Um, let's talk about racial politics yeah. up in this yeah. baby. For sure. Because um, I've got some places I can start. Go or for if it. you, that international terrorist organizations are much better at uh, <laughs> solving racial boundaries and national boundaries than. Than American corporations? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I guess I, it's, I'm struggling to picture the crowd at the Nakatomi party. Was it pretty whitewashed? With the exception about, of one Japanese man. Hmm. No. What? There were, wait, what? Like the people in the party? Yeah. yeah. No, there were some. I mean, there were, I don't think there were any Asian women, but there were several Asian men. Hmm. Uh, there were like white people. And Asians is pretty much like I don't know what what who they were like Chinese Japanese right. like whatever like you know uh, yeah saying, I mean like, it's multinational so who's to say uh, my presumption would be Japanese just because it is a Japanese based sure. company but there weren't you're right but like there weren't there didn't seem to be like any black people or you know Latinos like yeah but the mo- but the movie uh, staffed far more uh, varied I guess. Um, Yes. Right. So, so yeah. So to start with, yes, we've got a uh, Japanese man as the arguably most powerful person. At the company, yeah. At the, yeah. Uh, definitely at the company. Definitely at the company. Um, 
and then we've got so we've got argyle mm-hmm. uh, the person of color limo driver who uh i think what's something that's great about his character is that he uh, it's almost like his actions and his role in the film are irrespective of his race or or his racial are like racial expectations at the time possibly um because he doesn't play into any stereotypes I would except say, for liking hip-hop i would say none of them do right right yeah. exactly the same thing is true for uh officer al right sergeant Sergeant Al, that's true. He needs backup yeah. assistance now. Now, God damn it, now. There's a great, yeah, like the the um, different types of positions that, especially, I mean, really just black people, because like otherwise they, you know, like that's, they're the only people who we, people of color who we see who are in like various different types of positions. Well, there's also one, but we'll circle back to that. Because like there's the limo driver, there's this sergeant, there's the nerdy like the nerdy he's like the he's like the uh, chief thief? computer side right. of the of the thieves right and there's the fbi agent oh every time i Steven. turned the volume no, off didn't. wow um yeah just that there are so many um different uh roles that they in which black people are are cast where it, yeah you're right like it's not even the and the second johnson right the exactly, fbi yeah, guy FBI, right yeah mm-hmm. and that and that one of them even the um as you, what did you say, chief mechanical, chief, chief oh, nerd guy chief nerd, yeah. on the um, exceptional thieves resident team. Resident hacker. Yeah. The resident hacker yeah. uh, is a man of color. And I would say throughout the film actively parodies the idea that I think would have probably been held at the time that like a black man's uh, best role is in sports. Mm. Um, because he, a lot of his like little quips and jokes are about sports and about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he talk, talks about like past magic Johnson and mm-hmm. yeah, he's boom, like distracted when they walk right. in, like they are, uh, distracting the, Security like guard. making a play at conversation about a Lakers game mm-hmm. and then and he shoots it over to magic and then the guy pulls out a gun, shoots the guy in the head and goes, boom, yeah. two points. Right. Um, and yeah, which I see as like a a very active lampooning of that uh, stereotype. Mm. Yeah, mm. which is great. And he's also, when it comes to, he's also just, you see him as being, he's pretty autonomous in terms of how the group functions. Everyone is totally yeah, pretty much taking their orders from Hans, and then it's like. Mm-hmm. He's in charge of breaking the locks. Yeah. And he then has the expertise. Yeah. And sure. then and then when it when the SWAT team shows up, he's also in charge of leading the group on where they need to be like combating combating them. Uh, and again, like with Holly, there's no explanation for why he's great at what he's doing. It's mm-hmm. just that he's just great. He's yeah. just great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think I don't know, for movies from the late eighties, mm-hmm. even that I think is is us is a good step. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, so you mentioned uh, they're not really being any other people of color aside from African Americans, uh, but we do have the uh, on the side of the exceptional thieves. Um, a I wouldn't know what possibly Mongolian uh, man. So he is, I think he's Japanese, but he's. Oh, actually, no. I'm sorry. I'm I'm totally wrong. Never mind. 
a break. I, I thought I thought it was who I was talking about, but uh, I was looking up a different actor. Oh, okay. Basically, when I was looking up Takagi, I had the one photo that, like, his main photo is one from when he was really young. So at first, I was confused about. Oh, word. Was. Um, um, well, so there's a yeah, there's a Asian man on the on the team who looks very stereotypical. He's like uh, got a Fu Manchu mustache, which uh, he looks very much like a villain from a movie mm-hmm. of the time, right? But then the uh, the roles he plays have nothing to do with being good at kung fu, mm-hmm. right. which is a very welcome change. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one line he gets to speak in the movie is completely free of any dialect. He just speaks mm-hmm. standard American. Mm-hmm. Um, and and gets a lovely little moment where he gets to be a fan of uh, candy bars. Chocolate. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> specifically crunch bars, which we can all know plausibility goes out the <laughs> window. But, the uh, and he chose a crunch bar. Crunch bar is a nice non-committal happen. choice. I would have picked the raisinets. I know I'm... Whoa, okay, Even that's then not you got believable. flavor there. Like, yeah, you yeah. don't have just no. a... I know. A, a pol- Straight Hershey's. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so again, I think it's just yet another example of like really going against, uh, racial stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the only, I would say, cause way. there's also their like live in nanny, um, Paulina. Yeah. Um, who is, uh, okay, you know, let's go there. Latina. And I like the, the thing, like she just doesn't have, she has like three lines and we don't get to see much of her, but I think like part of like something that, um, that I do did appreciate was when the, the reporter essentially like you know, barges into the home trying to like get a great story, like interviewing the kids. And like, we see the sort of like evil of him, like manipulating his position where he's like, if you don't let me in, I'll call INS. And it's like, A, first of all, like, why would he assume, like just assuming that like she is undocumented essentially is like not uh, good, (laughs) you know, but like, but like he is like the villain of the moment, you know, and like, and like that, you know, using this power and this privilege to like get his way, uh, which in the movie in terms of the plot and everything is like a bad thing, you know, is a negative action. Um, but yeah, but she just like, all we know about her is that she is their nanny and Mm. we know. I would say her, her role in the movie is is akin to the pinup poster for me. Mm. It, the, the, so I watched this movie with a fluent Spanish speaker. Um, and this it there's some problems with her dialogue, mm-hmm. which makes me question how she felt about saying it, mm-hmm. which is that she's speaking in yeah. broken Spanish yeah. to some like she can speak Spanish fluently, mm-hmm. but instead of speaking in broken English, she speaks in broken Spanish to someone who doesn't who only knows English. Mm-hmm. Um, like she says when she asks if like in the beginning you see her talking to Holly and she's like, did Mr. McLean call? Um, no, no, no telefono. Mm-hmm. When it's right. like, yeah, that just, that's broken Spanish. Hmm. Like you can speak Spanish. You would say he didn't call in, hmm. in Spanish or no phone in English. Hmm. Like, but to say no noun, no hmm. noun telephone, right. like is, yeah, it is someone sense. who doesn't speak Spanish writing there stilted is, right. dialogue from a Spanish speaker. Right. And just sort of like clearly having no thought to like 
her just who she is of being like oh yeah. she's she's their nanny she doesn't speak perfect english so let's just make let's just bleh, first right. idea no telephono you know you're like right. oh so yeah all right so room for improvement room which for is improvement. good mm-hmm. um i have a thing to save to last that we can just like move through um so does anyone have anything else to- uh, on the on the racial front ah. um i do have one last uh comment in terms of avoiding stereotypes um which this was actually the first one that struck me when we were rewatching at this time. Uh, the German depiction mm. so easily could have been, you know, far more evil, far more just like blanketly monstrous and uh, even in style could have been more like classically with the way you think Nazi. of like a Nazi. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Um, they could have had their blonde hair slicked back. Um, no, they were more like rockers. Like but yeah, hair. they were just yeah. more like the times. They were in the 80s and people, they were exceptional thieves. And uh, the yeah, the stereotypes that so easily could have been applied were nowhere to be seen. This is funny to me. Like we talked about this with Top Gun that like there hasn't been... Uh, the U.S. has not experienced a period of peacetime this long since World War II. Um, so at the time of this movie, at the time of this movie, in, in 1988, um, and so like there is this thing of like if there isn't like it, the longer th- that we're in peacetime, the farther out of the collective, the farther out of the collective consciousness, it do we have a or flies this sort of stereotypical depiction of who the bad guy Mm -hmm. is? Um, And so you get to have this sort of multinational brand of people like it. it, It's kind of like opportunity thieves. Yeah. And like, it's like in, in, in Top Gun, they were just, the other guys, right. literally, like, they, um, actually, there's a there was a whole thing with the Defense Department about how they couldn't actually uh, imply right. that any nationality it was yeah any country, um, yeah, and like, yeah, this is I like Germans being like the primary primary group of people, like the most people in this organization being Germans and the leader being German, like, yeah, it's like. It's maybe unfair, but it's sort of like, uh, I feel like it's just like a less, it feels less problematic than any other like group at the time, you know, of just like, as far as at the time being like, who is a group of like, where can we say they're from? Um, It's definitely punching laterally. Mm -hmm. It's not like back to the future. Um, what with the Libyans? Gotcha. Yeah. 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 Nailed it. Um, There's just a lot in that movie, so I yeah. needed to be reminded. <laughs> and I was also meant. trying to parse punching laterally, so yeah. you just as threw a lot to at like us. punching down. Yeah. So yeah. they're not <laughs> punching up; like it, it's not. Would that be punching up? Who, uh, like, punching up British? would be like well, no, like um, like an oil, oh. like like sort of our sort of ruling capitalist class. That would be like punching mm-hmm. up, but like to punch it, like I Germans gotcha. for being yeah. like. Okay. You know, for Nazism in the in the forties, like arguments can yes. be made that they've done better at at facing at looking in the mirror than like we sure. have yeah, for yeah, sure, sure, sure. slavery or our yeah. many contemporary policies. Yeah. Um, so yeah, punching 
laterally. Um, Or as most people know it, punching. (laughs) No, all right. In comedy, people, it's either punching up or punching down. It's like they say, like, you know, don't make jokes about, like, homeless people and things like that because it's, like, it's not funny to punch down. Um, Like, you're supposed to be, like, punching up at authority. Um, What's your last thing? My last things. So... Uh, there's just a couple of, of absurdities in the movie. That I also actually have one last thing after okay, that. Quick okay, last <laughs> so we the, we just I just wanted to point out a couple of absurdities that I couldn't help but catch. Um, so Argyle is like he puts in the cassette tape, turns it on, hears the music, and goes. That'll work. Um, right, you put in. The you cassette. chose the music. <laughs> like it's maybe he didn't know which side it was. I actually on. clocked this as well. I think he was gauging the sound system for the first time oh, in the nice. limo because okay. it is this his first, first time, time driving the driving the limo. Um, nice. nice, interesting. What else you got? Um, <laughs> uh, it's a little bit weird how in the beginning they're kind of ma- they're they're being a bit of like everyone is kind of mistreating Takagi. Um, he's spoken to like very brusquely by Bruce Willis, um, which like it, it's kind of like emphasizing his every manness, but also and his resentment to the company for bringing her over here. Yeah. But like, I just can't fathom going to the head of the, like this multinational corporation who's like in his, you know, 30 story tower. Mm-hmm. That's like, yeah, you know, just being like, where's my wife? And then Ellis is really like rude to him. Um, everyone's right, just kind of cuts rude to him. him off. That's yeah. true. Um, so that's a little bit weird. That boardroom table would be the worst boardroom table so to have any sort of meeting. It's like zigzags. <laughs> it's only good to be Wait, crawled can you under. Move? Can you yeah. can you scooch down? I gotta see. Right. Okay. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, we've already talked about bear bonds, but also the implications of them like getting that cool shot where like the truck opens up and they walk out means that beforehand they were in pitch blackness (laughs) unsecured in this empty room as this truck rolls down LA highways. They're like ratchet strapping themselves to the walls. Possibly. Like, yeah. Non crates. Maybe. I mean, eventually we learned they were sitting secured in an ambulance, ambulance, but yeah, it was just like, true. Yeah. Um, I was just like, that is crazy. Um, that's my last thing. What's your last thing? Um, let's see. Uh, last thing. Oh, oh, oh. In terms of, um, I mean, because so this whole podcast purportedly is about reevaluating old movies by our new social standards, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, whether or not that is what has happened in the past for all movies is in question. I would cite. Star Wars. Okay, Let, uh, okay. We don't have, we don't to, have to go there. No, no, no. no. no but, Star but, Wars Episode Six. Right. I, I believe. Um, I'm sorry. I, I want to help for sound balancing, otherwise I'm getting too excited. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we don't have to go into that. We don't have to go into that. I bring it up because uh, the last bit of social representation. Uh, there's a beautiful little moment. Bruce Willis first gets into the party, and one of the first things that happens is uh, a. <laughs> Uh, jubilant party goer oh, kisses him on the cheek. It happens to be a man. Um, and the character's reaction, Bruce Willis's reaction is to, you know, rebuff 
yeah. the advance, uh, but good-naturedly. Right, smiling. He's, he kind of right. smiles, Careless wonders what's... Yeah. yeah, makes a little yeah. comment. And yeah, it's about... It's... it's while it's about California and like one could read into that like dog whistling about any sort of relationship California has to homosexuality, we see him have that exact same response to this like spandex clad couple that like mm-hmm. jumps on right. each other at the airport. Right. right. Um, and so it could have it in the movie could have easily been some sort of like knock on homosexuality or some joke or something. But instead it's. Uh, we see this character deal with it in a healthy manner. It's not what he wanted to be happening <laughs> on yeah. his body. Yeah. And it's okay for him to uh, exercise his rights. Yeah. But it, he thinks nothing more of it. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that is really lovely to have. Mm-hmm. Should we revote? Quickly. One. Two. Two. What? I'm just. Three. Yes, I was saying we yeah, should we, revote. Yeah. We're, um, we're, yeah. We're we keeping the keep crap still. out of it. Yeah. It has room for improvement. It's yeah, not, I think it's we've learned yeah. perfect, but yeah. I think overall it's pretty keeping. close to perfect. I'll be honest. Yeah, you know, like there, there's some, there's some. It's not a 100. percent That's pass. true. Let's get that yeah. van a little bigger in the beginning. <laughs> and <laughs> well, the watch business. I was watching Gina like rapidly recalculate yeah, whether no, or not was, she liked to keep it. But I think it's mm. okay. I would give her some more lines at the end to really mm. clarify what yeah. that is. But, yeah, that um, moment. Yes. Um, you got any I sweet, do, but sweet first, that's how we end end, right? What, what we have we... to say we're a Rock Rising Productions <sighs> podcast. We have to say have a great <sighs> holiday season because we'll be back in the new year. Um, with the 90s. With the 90s. I'm so excited. And you should follow us at Shall We Keep This and mm-hmm. at Rock Rising Inc. Yeah, follow Rock Rising Inc. And and we Quinn does not have Instagram social media. Twitter. High five, Quinn. Quinn Ghost Protocol. Video, but but uh, keeping it, keeping yeah, it tight. Follow. Um, and I do have. Gina Whithag. Just follow Should We Keep It. And thanks, yeah. thanks, you guys, for having me. Thanks, thanks for Rock being Rising. Here. Look forward to the new year <laughs> yeah. for Gina's Punishment. We're oh, all yeah. getting excited Shoot. about Gina's yep. Punishment. That's right. Yeah. You'll have to listen to the decade rap if you don't know what that means. Ooh. Okay, closing it off with a sweet, sweet haiku, everybody. Cowboys, cops, and thieves. Machismo blues. Here's a tip. Make fists with your toes. This podcast is produced by Rock Rising. Come follow us on Instagram, and if you want to hear more podcasts, visit rockrising.org. Thanks.